Who is this guy? I'm Batman. I'm Batman. You sound like Cookie Monster. I'm Batman. That's Batman. I'm Batman. Listen, I'm Batman. Oof, you even sound like a bad guy. I swear, I am a good guy. Okay, Mr. Batman. 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 That's what I said, Batman. No, you're saying Batman. Uh, listen, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. This is the this Bat Pod. Bat Pod. Grab your bat microphone. It's time to start the show. Like a quarter of hours, the mystery is starting to grow. Let there be no debate. It's about to begin. Keen like Bruce Wayne, quick like Tim Drake, fierce like Damien. Grab your headphones, listen up. You know you love it. Drop the facade. Like the Dark Knight Detective, they've got some perspective. They're a pure crime fighting collective. It's the Bat Pod. Welcome to the Bat Pod. My name is Bill Beer, and joining me tonight, Jay Loving. Hello, all you stay-at-home Batman fans. How's it going? Going pretty well. Have you come out of your Bat Cave recently? Uh, I did today, actually. Yeah, I had a doctor's appointment. That's good. Tomorrow, the governor of Texas has mandated that... Retail stores, restaurants, and movie theaters can reopen. So. Ah, so everybody flock into the movies. Well, yeah, but a lot of theaters. <laughs> I know Cinemark, which is headquartered in Plano, Texas, which is not, you know, about an hour, half hour from where I am. They've said they're not reopening till June, no matter yeah. if they have permission or not. Yeah. So. Well, I'm not headed. <laughs> I don't even think no. anything is scheduled to be released. I, I don't think so. I think they've all pushed it back. Yeah. So. That's interesting. Here in West Virginia, they're doing the same thing next week, but nobody here has been doing the, the social distancing anyway. Right. So, I mean, I don't go. You, you drive by, like, a gas station, a convenience store, and it's packed. Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, we uh, have a new show tonight. Unfortunately, there's no new Batman book, and there's no new detective book, so we decided to pick a couple back issues that we're going to talk about. And we're going to have a topic of the week that's pretty interesting. It's our top three underrated Batman villains, which was kind of fun to put that list together. So on the show, we're going to do Batman number 392. And our second book is Dark Allegiances. And let's go ahead and head to the books. The Bat Pod is a spoiler podcast. Please read the comics we're reviewing so you can enjoy the show. We are a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Our first book tonight is Batman number 392. Your writer is Doug Munch. Penciler, Tom Mandry. Inker, Jan Drizma. Colors, Adrian Roy. Letter, John Costanza. And in this issue, it's date night for the bat and cat. Whether it's dinner, a walk in the park, dancing, or having a toast, they keep getting interrupted by criminals. Harvey Bullock tries to convince Commissioner Gordon that Catwoman is bad news. And we end our issue with Gordon accepting Catwoman thanks Bullock, of all people. So, 
we start off with this book, and I wanted to talk about the cover, because that really is a cool-looking cover. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with this issue, basically, it has the title Batman, then underneath it says A Night on the Town, and you have a window with three thugs being thrown out of a window, but in the background of the window you see a large, it's almost like a bat signal type of thing, as, as he's being thrown, as the three guys are being thrown through the window. So, it was a pretty cool cover. I do enjoy that cover. Yes. But... Uh, the one thing that, when I first started reading this, because this may have been my first time reading it, but I get in here and the dialogue is, uh, well, we got some 80s dialogue, to say, <laughs> say the <laughs> least. I mean, we we jump into this book and you see a bunch of thugs that Batman's confronting and, you know, they're in this back alley and one has a baseball bat, another has a hockey stick and... A broken bottle, what else would you have? But he's like, could I convince you guys to sleep it off? They decide that they're going to attack Batman, or Batman attacks them before they can attack. But Catwoman jumps in, and this is where we get (laughs) some dialogue. Because she's disappointed that the booze dulls the reflexes of the bad guys and zapping a challenge from the the fight. And Batman actually replies, and he says... Maybe so, Catwoman. Not bad for a... And she says, for a woman? Did I say that? <laughs> so Batman may or may not be a little sexist. But it is the 80s, so... <laughs> right. So, yeah. When we get to, you know, Catwoman, she uh, has a proposition there for Batman in here. And she kind of goes, you and me, Bat and Cat, in the dark, making sparks... Like maybe a night on the town. <laughs> it's it's some of this is very cheesy, but it's a heck of an entertaining book. It is. I thought it, you know, I had not read this book. Yeah. And I was taken aback number one by you know, I had not seen a issue like this where before where Batman and Catwoman had actually gone out on a date. And it got me to thinking about all the people that sort of complained and moaned about Tom King and his you know, uh, infatuation with the Batman Catwoman story. And it's like, this is nothing new. You know, Tom King didn't invent this. It's been done periodically for, you know, this book is 34 years old. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, it's right in this book. I mean, it didn't. And, and I like that. I like to see writers, you know, they bring older concepts. Uh, Grant Morrison was a big one to do that also. Yes. And when we talk about Catwoman, this version of Catwoman has her in, like, her purple costume with, like, a green belt and a green cape and yes. her her whip. And it seems like every time they, they go to a different place, because they start off having dinner, they're eating in a, gonna eat some Italian in the back alley, get interrupted by some crook at the restaurant, there was a murder, and every time she cuts a little piece of her whip off to give to Batman to tie the thugs up, which, do you think that represents anything, that she's giving up a piece of her whip every time, or is that just... I don't know. I mean, it's it's what's called a cat of nine tails, which is a natural thing. It's a whip made out of nine individual strands, and but 
I thought that was one of the funnier elements about this book. Oh, yeah. Each time, so by the end of the book, she basically ends up with just the stump of the whip. Right. Because <laughs> every time they ch- she has to cut another one of those off to tie up the criminals with so they can move on to their next. Yep, yep, absolutely. No, and then we go b- go back and forth between the bat and the cat and Bullock and, and Commissioner Gordon. And this might be some of the best parts because Bullock is just ranting about Catwoman, how she uh, was a criminal, she doesn't care about if she helped save whoever, but he's just destroying Commissioner Gordon's office. And Commissioner Gordon is just sitting behind his desk with his hands, rest, his his head resting on his hands. He even starts doodling at one point like he's bored. Right. And the big surprise at the end, Bullock's been ranting the whole issue and... And after Bullock leaves, you know, Batman and Catwoman go to confront Gordon because they're trying to convince him to, you know, Catwoman's one of the good guys. He's like, Bullock already convinced me. (laughs) Which, you didn't see that one coming. No. Bullock probably doesn't know he convinced anybody, but Gordon even, and the one time he scribbled, at least Catwoman never destroyed my office. He's like doodling on a piece of paper while... Bullock is is going off, so. Yes, uh, that was the interesting, the funny sort of, I mean, it's almost like, it reminds me of some of the slapstick comedy of the 30s and 40s, although there wasn't any, you know, Pratt Falls or, yeah. it's not like the Three Stooges where somebody gets poked in the eye, but it's it's almost on that level. It's, you know, it's, it seems like the more that Bullock goes on, the more hunched Gordon's shoulders become. He's just getting more and more tired of listening to this, but yeah. he won't he won't interrupt him and tell him to shut up. He just endures it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and another favorite part of mine, you know, Catwoman and Batman go into this dance club called yes. Glitterati, and they're approached by this guy, and this is like an ultimate 80s type shirt, you know, a John Travolta type staying alive type shirt with a, a chain in his hair, chest hair. And he's like, what you need, man, is some nose candy. Get a good buzz and share your bones. <laughs> and once they said, uh, yeah, we're not into that or whatever, he's like, but you'll love it, chicky, once you've had a taste. And she just belts this guy. And he doesn't hit a lady. So nope. he'll take it out on <laughs> And they get up, they get ended up the ones that get through that window that's on the cover. Yes. So I did enjoy this, uh, the art, Tom Mandrake, who's done a, quite a few issues of Batman. I love the way there's particularly one scene on the second page that has him, has this menacing look where the inks are really dark on his cow, and he has this serious look right before he gets ready to attack the thugs. I like how that's drawn particularly. Just to reiterate that, it, you know, just... Surprised me. I was not expecting this, you know, this interaction between Batman and Catwoman, but I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it was, it was a really entertaining issue. But yeah, it's funny you brought it up too. There's definitely the 80s dialogue and some of the 80s sensibilities. Like when they go to the Italian restaurant, the the owner comes out and he sounds like, you know, Harpo Marx or something. I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, all the, the stereotypical bad Italian English right. accent kind of thing. Um, I'm like, and they're eating out there by the dumpster. Yes. 
that some of that stuff that would be cringeworthy today if you try to put it in a comic, but you know. All right. Yeah. So yeah, and if you're one of those people that were like, "Oh, Bat and the Cat," I, I don't like how that. Why did Com King put put that in here? This is the issue that you need to read because yes, that's all this is about is the Bat. The only other thing, and this is aside from the uh, content itself, is I, I love going on these old issues and reading through the ads. Oh yeah, some of them because they're really funny. And that it was one here that kind of shocked me. It's comic books for sale by Robert Bell, and he's pretty pretty well known as one of the early vendors of collectible comic books. Right. But he was also known to enhance, to try to, in order to keep the books from falling apart, he would add additional staples and put brown tape in the comic books. Things that would just today drive a collector crazy. Batshit. I mean, yeah. you know, because you're ruining the value of the books, but he would do that in stuff. But he had an ad in there. And I, I've always enjoyed going to see those old ads. Yeah. The, uh, Unfortunately, the the digital edition that I'm looking at doesn't have the ads. Oh, yeah, so. of course. But they're always cool, you know, the old video games and stuff. The the games that you didn't even know that existed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they have some of the superhero games that, wow, I don't remember that. There's a reason you don't remember it, because it never caught on. Right. Or it was really bad. So yeah, my oldest fun kind of reaching that picking that out. Indeed. There we go. So let's let's go ahead and head to our topic of the week. The Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. So welcome to the topic of the week. And the topic this week is our top three most underrated Batman villains. And we'll start with number three. And Jay, you want to go first? Yes. My number three is Professor Pig. Ah. Who first appeared in Batman 666, uh, the creation of Grant Morrison. This, I just think he could be much more utilized. I mean, Tom King put him in a couple of issues. He's showing up a little bit here. Morrison used him again in the first arc of Batman and Robin. Yep. Back in around 2011, 12, back in that time frame. But he's just such a creepy character. And this this whole thing he does, like making the Dolatrons, really macabre. And I, I think he could be better utilized. I just wondered if, I wonder if some of the creators are a little bit hesitant, you know, not sure that they can write him properly. It's a good possibility. There was a story with him. There was the crossover Forever Evil, and it was a mini that come out of that, and all the villains had certain areas of Gotham taken over, all the Batman. And Professor Pig actually had the hospital, and he was doing surgeries and that sort of thing. And at least the scenes that he was in that book, they used him pretty perfectly. I think Peter Tomasi were and but yeah, that's a character that I've enjoyed. We don't see him too much. I just said he showed up in that issue of Tom King. Yeah, I agree with that. He's not in my top three. Definitely, um, he's up there. So my number three is the Mad Monk. He was created by uh, Gardner Fox and Bob Kane. His first appearance was in Detective Comics 31 in 1939. The monk is actually a vampire who wears this red monk-like outfit with a hood. Uh, he has an assistant named Dala, and in that particular story, he lures Batman to his lair using Bruce Wayne's fiance Julie Madison as bait. 
he actually places Julie Madison in this hypnotic trance, and the monk is killed by a lightning bolt, and his uh, assistant Dalla falls on her own dagger, and then he he is revived a few decades later in Detective Comics 515. The biggest, his biggest appearance besides that Detective Comics issue is the six-issue miniseries from 2006 that was done by Matt Wagner called Batman and the Mad Monk. And it, it's basically a revised story of the Detective Comics issue. And if you haven't read that one, Julie Madison is actually in that again. So it's it's like a, a year one type of story. Have you read any any of the Mad Monk? Uh, just the, like some of the first appearance, yeah. early stuff that you yeah. talked about. Yeah, that um, uh, that Matt Wagner story. It's I don't even know if it's traded. I haven't seen it recently, but that's that, that's a really cool story. He actually Matt Wagner did a couple different stories there. Um, that are like in the year one era. This is my number three, Mad Monk. So, what's your number two? My number two, and this may shock some people, Calendar Man. Calendar Man. Who made his debut in Detective Comics 259. And this is certainly a character that is good or bad, depending on the creator. I mean, a lot of his crimes that he commits are sort of petty, and some are ridiculous in nature. And they always, you know, of course, they correspond with holidays or significant dates. But I think a lot of writers don't get him well enough and he comes off kind of inept and buffoonish he reached his high point at least in my opinion in the long halloween where i think jeff Loeb wrote him brilliantly in that series absolutely and tom king used him a little bit in the early arcs of his run i thought that was he did that pretty well so you're just saying you don't like the version that had a, a different costume for a different crime uh, it's that's okay. I yeah. mean, it's just it's it's a little. It is what it is. It's a little yeah. cheesy, but yeah. I don't know. He just has always fascinated me, and like I say, it's definitely one. It depends on the creator how well he comes across. Yeah, I have to say I agree with that. Uh, one of my favorite covers actually is you know back in the mid '80s, and I don't have the issue number off the top of my head, but he's in his calendar costume, you know, with uh like the monthly calendar on his costume and he has this hood mask right that, that's probably one of my favorite covers and you know that he never actually wore that in that story arc never wore that costume he would do different crimes and wear different costumes but yeah that's that's another character that i'd like to see more of king made him especially creepy in his run because he he would shed his skin like a snake yeah that's know. weird <laughs> it's pretty strange right there so my number two and my number two shouldn't be any surprise to anybody that has listened to this podcast for a little bit. But not, my number two is The Black Mask. And The Black Mask, his original appearance was in Batman 386, created by Doug Munch and Tom Mandrake. The Batman book we talked about today had the same writer and artist, Doug Munch and Tom Mandrake. And his origin in that particular issue... You see him from, like, a child up, and you see him developed into this character, and he actually kills his parents. He actually takes over his father's company, and when he becomes the Black Mask, he actually carves his mask out of their coffin. Yes. <laughs> Which I kind of like. But the second part, 
the black mask is actually fused to his face because he's in like a fire. So it's fused to his face. And I always like that version. Um, and they, you know, in the, in the late eighties, nineties, they did have that version around for a little while, but they've kind of gone away from that version, which is too bad. I mean, now at certain points they have a mask where it's like zipped up in the back and I know at one point Jeremiah Arkham was wearing the mask and it sort of controlled him or something like that. But yeah, he's he's one of my... I agree. In fact, I came very close to picking Black Mask myself. Yeah. Definitely yeah. one that... There's a lot of potential with her turn. Yeah. Now, he did show up in the Birds of Prey movie, but yes. I didn't really feel like that was Black Mask. He was only Black Mask by name. I didn't really feel that... He had any characteristics of the character. I agree. But that wasn't the only character in the movie. Right. Which you could say that. So. Yeah, you could go on about a few that weren't. Okay. Let's get to our number one. What was your number one underrated bad villain? Number one, Eduardo Flamingo. Ooh. Who also appeared first in Batman 666 and was in the first arc of Batman and Robin by Grant Morrison. Really crazy character, an assassin who's been lobotomized by the mob. So he has very few cognitive abilities other than, you know, a tenacious drive to complete his task and who will oftentimes eat the faces off of his victim and runs around in a flaming pink jacket and drives a pink motorcycle. You got to be a tough guy <laughs> to, to pull that off. I mean, you yeah. really do. And I don't know. He's just. And that's, I don't know if he's appeared in anything else other than that. I don't know if anybody's... It just he's, He combines the psychosis of the Joker with some of the creepiness of Victor Zaz to me. Like, eating the faces of his victims kind of is reminiscent of Zaz making a... Cutting himself a mark on himself after each of his victims. And only Grant Morrison could come up with a character like Yeah, this. agreed. <laughs> Absolutely agreed. He's just one I would love to see somebody tackle him and put him in some... It'd be I think interesting. Would, I thought that... I've heard him mentioned or seen a brief appearance recently. I can't recall what it was, and I could be imagining it. I, don't I seem to remember. remember him being mentioned. Yeah, that was a good number one. And really, I don't have enough about him to... And there's probably a lot of people don't know enough about him to even have an opinion, unless you're, that story is like ingrained, because he really hasn't been used that much. But there are a lot of characters that hasn't been used that are in this you know playhouse right. that could be used and could be reinvented or could be added to the the character that are already established right and i just remembered he was in one or two issues of batman eternal early on okay. or about halfway through okay so i forgot about that that but might be it i'm not sure yeah okay and my number one is a little guy by the name of arnold wesker the ah. ventriloquist with Scarface. And they came on the scene in Detective Comics 583, created by Alan Grant, John Wagner, and none other than Norm Rayfogle. And it's such a ridiculous character just by looking at it. But in reality, this character, Arnold Wesker, he has this multiple personality disorder. So he, he actually had, takes on the personality of his puppet, you know, Scarface, but uh, his personalities battle back and forth, and he's a mobster, Scarface, that is, and 
And Wesker seems like this meek, has this meek personality, and he can't stand up for himself. And uh, I know he got killed off for a little while there. Tom King had brought him back, actually teased Scarface a little bit, but he took over, you know, the the Alfred role, Flashpoint Batman there, and Tom King's run. But I'd I'd really like to see somebody bring them back, have a, a, a new story with him in it. Um, there was a two-part issue in Showcase. There was a Showcase series in the 90s. It was like 94, Showcase 94. And they showed his origin where he first got put in Blackgate Prison. And actually Scarface was carved by, you know, what they hang people by, the wood that holds the rope. Right. It was like this cursed wood that they carved Scarface and it showed a little like Scarface kind of took over a little bit because it was cursed wood and and uh, there was a little more to you know the puppet than just Wesker being able to to take over the Scarface that's my number one so very good that's a, yeah that's there's a lot of psych psychological things you could go into between oh. that I mean oh yeah um with him and yeah it's just very good character Good choice. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our three. If anybody out there has uh, any others they'd like to mention, feel free to, to let us know what your most underrated villains are. We'll go ahead and head to our next book. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed. But as a symbol, as a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting. What symbol? Something elemental, something terrifying. Our next book is Batman Dark Allegiances. Writer and artist was Howard Chaikin. Letterer Ken Brusenak. Color separation done by Jameson. So in this Elseworlds story set in 1939, Bruce Wayne is a wealthy industrial designer who grew up impoverished and who has government contracts to design unique weapons ordinance, but he's also been hired by Hollywood movie tycoon Milt Bigsley to design an amusement park for Los Angeles. But Big, Bigsley has bigger plans as he and a U.S. senator, Caldecott Putty, are fascists and Nazi sympathizers with intentions of fomenting a fascist government in America. And part of their plan entails blackmailing Kitty Grimalkin, a Hollywood actress with cat-like abilities, to break in and steal Wayne's weapons design secrets. In doing that, she deduces that Bruce Wayne is Batman and begins working with him to recover the blackmail evidence they have on her as well as to stop Bigsley and Pewdie. And along the way, Bruce Wayne, Batman, encounters a hooded fascist group, a corrupt police force, Adolf Hitler in a cabana shirt and sandals, (laughs) and a recast of several rogues gallery and travels to Hollywood where Bigsley and Pewdie intend to bring their plot to fruition by assassinating two world leaders and casting the blame on Batman. I had forgotten how damn good this book is. I mean, it really is good. I've, I have said on many occasions that some of my very favorite Batman stories are the Elseworlds and out-of-continuity stories. And the reason for that is because the creators have such freedom to do things like, you know, recasting Batman has... His parents were... You know, lower income people who ran a 
a clinic for impoverished people and who got basically killed by the Gotham police in a botched raid because they were treating a known anarchist and who grows up and becomes makes his own fortune by becoming this great industrial designer instead of inheriting money. And, you know, we see all these characters who are obvious what they are recast, like Milt Bigsley with his you know, cigarette in a holder and his monocle, obviously <laughs> the penguin. Uh, Caldecott Pewdie, whose right side of his face is deformed, is Two-Face. We have character Reverend Jones, who's obviously the Joker with his pale skin and green hair, and of Kitty Grimalkin, of course, Catwoman. And like I said, the story goes through so many twists and turns. We see, you know, Batman knows about their his allegiances with Nazism and wanting to bring fascism to America and replace the current government with a fascist government, but he uses it anyway. As he tells Alfred, he's taking the money, robbing Peter to pay Paul. He's financing his self as Batman. And so in this story, he becomes not so much a crime, you know, person who's fighting crime as he's he's a political figure trying to stave off these fascist plots in America. Quite a different take on the quite quite well done. I mean this Shagan was damn creative in crafting this story, I thought. And I really like the way the art is done in here to show, you know, the, their their style of haircuts and their their, you know, uh dresses or suits. It's like right. a different era. But um one of my favorite parts in this book right off the bat is when Batman's reading the Shadow Book. Yes. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. Yes, Kitty says something early on about, you know, your life is like uh, one of the pulp, fic- pulp, pulp, pulp fiction books. And that bothers him. He even asks Alfred, what do you think she meant by that? And he says that while he's reading The Shadow. The other thing is his his costume, you know. The cape almost comes down the front of his body and kind of merges into the bat. Yeah, that's what I noticed. It looks like it's an extension yeah. with a cape with scallops in it to make the bats. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I always like to see different versions. I actually um, did a uh, a book with a different version of Batman. Uh, do you remember uh, that series in the 80s called Hex? Yes. They had a Batman in there, and actually on his chest was a red screaming bat. You could see its teeth and everything. <laughs> that was a little corny, but this is pretty straightforward. Yes, but I agree. The color in this, was it's very bright, vibrant. I think intentionally kind of reminiscent of some of the older comic books from, say, the 80s back, you know, back when we still had the basically four-color printing process. So it seems like some of that was done reminiscent of that. I like Chicken's artwork, although I think one of the other things that's different opposed to Batman today is Bruce Wayne is almost constantly smiling. You don't see a smiling Bruce Wayne very often. Yeah, he is smiling a lot. Yes. The the other thing... Thing as far as colors go, you know, when he's fighting the the Nazi, the hooded Nazis, it must look right. like the Ku Klux Klan with a Nazi symbol. They're like in this blue shade, and Batman's in like this dark, like reddish brown shade throughout the fight. Right, it kind of makes him stand out a little. Yes, I agree. And Oxide, I just you know. I thought it was a very good story, and it takes, you know, two settings. It starts out in Gotham City, but then it moves to Hollywood, Los Angeles. A lot of gadgetry in this, including a new Batmobile, a special railroad car that Bruce has designed as his traveling Batcave, 
And there's a funny line on that where Ralph says, you just wanted something else for me to have to clean. (laughs) And that, you know, Batmobile looks like it would be one of Batman's, like, first vehicles, you know? It's just like a black car with a couple uh, red lights on the front that looks like a a bat cow. Yeah. Well, it looks very much like a, you know, a two-door coupe of the 1930s, which is what it was, and... And the Catwoman costume was kind of interesting, you know, with the almost like a fur coat around her neck part. Right. Not much else. It's almost like a bathing suit. Yes. It's very much like like a showgirl of the 30s. And I think yeah. that's what Chaykin was going for. I mean, he right. wanted to try to, he did a lot in the artwork to make sure you didn't forget the setting. This is not something contemporary. This is, you know, 1939. Nope. The actual year that Batman debuted, of course. And. So and he, I think he did it successfully. And there was also a difference in this book was that the people of Gotham City are convinced that there's more than one Batman, that it's a it's a legion of right. Batman. Yeah. And he doesn't explain how that came about, but it's 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 interesting. And that and that's another part of the plot that the Caldecott and Bigsley are going to use is trying to end up recruiting this mob of Batman towards because they look like they're communist. You know, communism and fascism were violently opposed with their back pre-World War II and then during the war. So they're they're planning on trying to sacrifice these Batmen for their cause. But just a really good book. And, of course, and it ends on an interesting note of Batman, Catwoman, Selena Kyle, and Alfred as Robin becoming agents of the United States government and fighting in the Second World War, which is an intriguing end yeah, to it. Yeah, because you had um, Hitler there. He had a diplomatic immunity. right. Yeah, when I turned the page and saw Hitler standing there in that cabana shirt and sandals, I just I almost literally laughed out loud. It was just, I thought, but that's a brilliant that's a brilliant plot device, absolutely brilliant. So yeah, if you haven't read this, and this was my first experience, I actually, when you mentioned that you had picked this book, I actually had to look it up. I had no idea what it was, what it was about. So I was entering reading this book for the first time, and it was very enjoyable. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad you introduced you to something new. I can recommend it, and I recommend any of the Elseworlds tales. If you've not read many of those, they're usually, I mean, they're for in total, they're all pretty, pretty darn good. And like I said, I like them because it gives you know you can never do this kind of thing in Batman proper or Detective Comics. You know, change characters around like that. But these creators doing this have a freedom that I'm sure some of the people like. Um, you know, Tynan Envy, which yeah. they could do in, in the regular books. But. Yeah, and I actually picked up this on Comixology, and it was in the, the Batman Elseworlds trade, volume one, called Elseworlds Batman. But in this, uh, they had some, in this collection, they had some good ones. It was Batman Holy Terror, Batman the Blue, the Gray, and the Bat, Robin 3000, Batman Dark Joker the Wild, Batman Houdini, Batman Castle of the Bat, and Batman in Darkest Night. And then this. So it's pretty healthy trade. It had 534 pages. Um, I think it was only like seven bucks, so that's not too bad. 530-some no. pages. Nope, not at all. It's kind of a big change to talk about some of the old books for once, now that we don't have the... The new ones arrive, and it doesn't sound like we're going to have new ones until, like, June. Yes. Because they did announce Batman. The next issue of Batman would be to June. 
Right. I assume the same is going to be for Detective Comics. We'll continue uh, doing picking our old issues and talking about them. We get back on track with the new books. So we'll go ahead and get out of here. If you'd like to contact us and be part of the Bat Pod, our email is batpodpodcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at pod underscore bat. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Lastly, a big thank you to those who have liked and retweeted the show on Twitter or Facebook. Those of you who are anxiously awaiting Stump the Co-Host, there's not one this time. Oh, yes, yes, Stump the Co-Host, but it'll be back. It'll be back and it'll be better than ever. (laughs) (laughs) At least one of us thinks so. So, yeah. We'll talk about two more books. We'll have a little bit of topic of the week and, as you said, more Stump the Co-Host. So until next time, same bat time, same bat channel. We will see you later.